Welcome to the Workspace Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, James Robertson, and today we're going to talk about the difference between enterprise-level tenants, I'm talking about big business and government entities, and the smaller businesses that may be in major markets like Houston. In our last episode, we talked about one large franchise, which was Subway, and how their approach to acquiring real estate for their franchise owners was hurting individual store growth and frankly, handicapping store operators by forcing them to pay higher than market rents and higher than market build out in some cases. Now, big businesses have to take more of a global approach to acquiring real estate for proper uses than small business. When you look at Exxon or Shell that has holdings all over the world, they own a lease space all over the world. They're dealing with an infinite number of variables and different markets that change on a daily basis. And we wanna spend some time and talk about how these larger variables that these big entities have to deal with, um, you know, how they have to deal with these issues differently than these smaller companies. Let's hit a few of these variables. One of them is public pressure. Now, big business and government sectors can change a market instantly. You take any major market in Houston or any major city for that matter. And if you have a Fortune 500 company that pulls out of a market, or if you have a government entity like the city of Houston or HISD or Lone Star College, if they reduce their footprint, it's gonna send vacancy rates soaring and landlords scrambling to fill vacant space and try to sublease and backfill that space. Now, sometimes the public loves to see new business coming into a market. And other times, exclusive markets may not always welcome new kids on the block. Let me give you a story um, that talks about that. A few years ago, I remember when Exxon moved into the Woodlands, the business community was rejoicing. Um, They really saved the Woodlands bacon as far as them having positive numbers for that year. And from a real estate perspective, the business community was ecstatic because that move kept so much leasing momentum in that market that their building stayed full. They stayed at above a 90% occupancy when that was going to be the first time, I think, in that decade they were going to drop that year and Exxon saved them. Now, if you were the average resident in the Woodlands, they hated the move. And um, I have friends there that talked about how much it changed the landscape. The traffic became ridiculous. Um, The community changed. There were a lot of strangers in the small town that didn't respect the culture of the Woodlands. And there's nothing against Um, Exxon or the people at Exxon. Um, I love Exxon and I think that the the members, they're they're people just like us that are in the community. My father actually uh, spent his entire professional career working at Exxon. It wasn't the company that was an issue. It was the Woodlands is a very, very small town. It just is very prestigious and exclusive. And so when they saw a lot of different people there that didn't respect the history, that didn't respect how the Woodlands came to be, it was an adjustment. Now, it wasn't just Exxon that came into the Woodlands. Over a thousand companies followed Exxon into the Woodlands market. So you already had a market that was pretty much full. The occupancy level over there was above 90%. Now you have Exxon coming in, building and developing on new land. You have a thousand companies moving in. And um, it to say it uh, concisely, there was a lot of change that happened there. Now. Let's look at a different market. If we took Greens Point, uh, which is south of the Woodlands in Houston, down the street there, and the Greens Point market was going through a total opposite change. Exxon was moving out of that market. Lots of companies moved out of Greens Point. 
And so you had a lot of class A buildings there and a lot of vacant space. Where the Woodlands is over 90% full, you have Greens Point that on average is, uh, in some buildings, is less than 50 or 40% full. Um, there are many buildings that are less than half full there right now. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. So public pressure moving in can be significant. And the reason that, um, and one thing the public remembers is how things feel when a company leaves. And Greens Point is a great example of how quickly things can change when some of these big companies start moving out of these major markets. Greens Point still has not recovered. Um, they are trying to revive the community. And I think there, there's some really good developments that are coming in that will change things. But for now, um, Greens Point's still hurting. And there are some massive opportunities for big entities to move into that market and capture some value there. Let's talk about another variable here. It's political pressure. In addition to your market analysis and studies, it's always a good thing to gauge the temperature of the local leadership and community members to see how people will respond to your company moving into the market. Some of the best places to move in major markets like Houston are exclusive, and these areas have a very high participation of the local community. Let's take local neighborhoods like the Heights or Midtown in Houston. I can't tell you how many times they have stopped large retailers or large developers from changing the landscape. I used to work in the city of Houston, and I remember um, at City Hall seeing these political leaders come in and out of the building um, committed to stop certain developments. They knew the right people, they were well-funded, and if you ignore them, that's at your own peril. Um, there's an art form to building relationships and coalitions in some of these more attractive markets. And that's one of the things I love about commercial real estate is it's not just raw numbers. Um, big business and government sectors have to be sensitive to public pressure. Building the right relationships from the beginning will pay dividends down the road. It'll also allow you to kind of see what options won't work. Because if you see a massive amount of resistance forming, um, just at the idea of you moving into a market, you kind of know where you stand and you may want to evaluate other markets to see who will receive you uh, uh, more easily. Now, another variable uh, that we need to look at if you're a big business or you're a government entity, entity is analyzing real estate on a macro level, looking at the development cycle versus looking at just the deal history of a building or, or just a very small chunk of the market. We need to look at where the market is as a whole. Now, it's critical to look at where a community is in their development cycle before making a long-term move or a long-term massive move of space. I'm gonna use two different examples here. Um, Greenway Plaza and the Galleria are established and mature developments in the city of Houston. Now, most of the land is developed there. Vacancies are low. They've been low for a while. And it's pretty difficult to move very large blocks of space in this market. Now, Greens Point, which I mentioned before, they've already passed their maturity stage and there are significant large tenants still moving out of that market, leaving opportunities for redevelopment. I would say huge opportunities. Because of this, Greens Point Mall will probably be sold soon and redeveloped into an entirely different, wildly different use in the hopes of restarting the flame in this market. I think word on the street was that it was gonna become a race track. Um, that may or may not happen. This is 2019. We'll see what happens this year. Uh, I'll keep my ear to the ground. But um, Greens Point would be a great move 
for many public sector uses because of the demographic in this area, uses a lot of public services, and there's some amazing deals that can be had here. A Class A building in Greens Point is almost three times cheaper in this market than Greenway Plaza, and the amenities and access are comparable. You're still close to major arteries. You can still travel um, up and down to downtown. You're, you're next to the Beltway, you're next to 45. So there's huge opportunities for the public sector here if you don't care about that prestige or being in a marquee market, Greens Point's a great place to look. So when you're analyzing real estate on a macro level, you, you need to understand what's important to you, what type of curb appeal, what type of, of, of uh, feeling you need to portray and pick a market that fits you. Another variable that big entities and big government needs to look at is your real estate forecasting needs to be on point. It needs to be more accurate. When you're looking at a five to seven year lease, you know, your forecast needs to be good. When you're looking at a 10 to 20 year deal and really plant roots, uh, we're almost talking about a form of speculation at this point. We're not talking about, uh, um, you're not gonna know where the rents are gonna be in 10 years. You're not gonna know where they're gonna be in 20 years. So your deals have to be created to fit what works for your own performer or your own plan. And you need to push the limits of what the market will tolerate. Now, your average broker is not gonna be able to tell you uh, confidently where rents are gonna be that far out. Here, I think the side that tells the best story supporting their position wins. The advantage here is that when you're a big business or you're a large government entity, you have so much leverage that you can create your own opportunities by developing if you wanted to. And in some cases, we've used that as part of our strategy. In order to, we wanted the leasing options that we reviewed when I represented government entities here or big business, we always took the option of what if we created our own? What if we just developed our own space? What would that look like? What would it cost? Um, we started putting that into our calculus and we forced other options to be more competitive than a scenario that we could create ourselves. This is a compelling story and it worked for us on many different occasions. Now, here's another variable that you need to look at if you're taking um, a big enterprise or a government entity into a space. You need to see the landlord's position. You need to see the landlord's position as well as they can see yours. Um, a landlord's gonna look up the public financials of a big institution like Exxon or a Shell. The landlord's gonna be able to look at the funding for a government entity that wants to move into a building. It's not gonna be a question of, can you afford this space? And when that, when you're at that level, you have to understand that it's very tempting to look inside your own box, so to speak, and see yourself as the center of the universe because you're such a big entity. But it's critical that when you're negotiating to see how your deal will change the life of this landlord or this landlord entity. In many cases, getting an enterprise or government tenant is gonna turn this property into a rock solid investment for that ownership of that building, making it infinitely easier for them to sell this property at a premium to tons of buyers looking for safe places to park their money. You have to understand what your tenancy is going to do for the value of that property and you're gonna to have to negotiate accordingly. If you just look at things from a market perspective or what your own leasing goals are, you're gonna leave a lot of value on the table. Also, the last thing you want is to have a reputation for being a pushover in these negotiations. Brokers talk, brokers are competitive, 
And some people may see the idea of, of negotiating against Exxon or the city of Houston or HISD. They may see that as just a little bit of a competition and they may want to run up the score on you. <laughs> so if they know you can afford it, don't get overcharged in rent. Um, don't get a less flexible lease than you should, right? So just make sure to step outside of yourself, look at the deal from their perspective, and then adjust your negotiations accordingly. Now, last point is gonna be every deal that you do, um, whether it's a lease, whether it's a purchase, you need to have a 100-year outlook. Um, I like to say when I'm negotiating leases, I, I pretend that I'm negotiating a 100-year deal. Now, one of the most famous long-term leases was at the World Trade Center. I believe it was like a 75 to 100-year lease. That's just an interesting bit of trivia in New York. But your philosophy needs to be on every deal that you do, is that you're capturing every bit of value for the duration of your term like you're gonna be there for 100 years. That's why I call it negotiate a 100-year deal. This, this means that you take an approach that encompasses all scenarios, contingencies, or uses of the property. Um, you want the flexibility to grow or contract as you planned. You also want the ability to shift if the business needs to contract or abruptly stop. Now, there are many large government entities that are funded by Congress and those intervals of getting funded don't neatly fit into lease terms. So this is really important for a lot of government entities or large nonprofits where their funding can just stop. And um, it's kind of interesting because we're dealing with a government shutdown right now. And um, this may be the life of a lot of entities right now that have their funding being threatened. Every time there's a different administration, this can happen. And so when you're negotiating these deals, how well have you taken into account these contingencies? How well are, is that landlord prepared for that shift? Okay, are they punishing you for that kind of flexibility? And is the amount of concessions they're giving you appropriate for that market? There, there's just so many different questions, but, but your outlook needs to be negotiating on a 100-year deal. Now, now, the last thing I'll say is that I wish I could give more details on how these bigger entities need to negotiate versus smaller ones, but I've learned in my experience that every deal is different. Every market is different. When you're dealing with different brokers, you're dealing with different owners, there are so many different variables in these conversations that what what is consistent is the right philosophy and approach. And the rest of it is understanding who you're talking to, growing that relationship, and looking at the data that's relevant at the time. And, and that just can change so much. That's why you need experience. That's why you need good data. That's why you need good relationships. And more importantly, you wanna see the history because real estate uh, repeats itself, just like history, it, it repeats itself. And when you look at different markets, you get to see how things work in their peak. You get to see how things work when the market declines and you're able to adjust accordingly with some confidence. And so um, those are all guides. But what I love about this business is at the end of the day, it's going to be a group of people in the room that are making the best deal happen for both parties. And if you're doing it right, it should be a win-win for both sides. So I hope this information was helpful to you. If you like what you're doing, if you like what we're doing here, please subscribe. And we hope that you get the best space at the best price with the best terms possible. This is James Robertson signing off.